So how mm-hmm. on earth am I supposed to target a speech for a group? We have Germans and Indians and Americans, and but uh, how do you target a speech for that group? You go until the common denominator, which is that we are we are all humans. This is episode number fifty-five of the inspiring talk with global keynote speaker Frederick Herren. Welcome, guys, to the inspiring talk. My name is Vijay Gautam. I'm host for this show. Each week, I interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potential. Hey guys, if traveling around the world to speak and share your ideas and maybe on three islands in different countries is one of your dreams, that this episode is for you. I have someone with me today who has traveled 65 different countries to speak and share his message as a professional speaker. He has been to 24 countries as a global keynote speaker last year alone. He has authored 10 different books including the idea book which was included in top 100 best business books of all time he writes about professional speaking at professionalspeaking.com and he runs a very interesting project called ideas island on one of his three islands which we talk about on this episode and my guest today is none other than frederick haren frederick is one of the most sought after speakers coming from sweden who lives in singapore and speaks globally on this episode we talk about how you can develop global mindset how frederick develops his keynotes how he generates interesting ideas his secret of stress free life and much more guys make sure to share this episode with your friends and family by visiting theinspiringtalk.com/55 that is theinspiringtalk.com/55 55 now without further ado Let me welcome the one and only Frederick Haren. Welcome back inside this episode Frederick Haren is in the house. Frederick, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to have you on the show. So I have been chasing you for months and now finally you made it. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. But yeah, well now we made it happen. So that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, um Frederick, where are you right now and what's keeping you busy? And I think the first part of the question, where are you right now would make a perfect sense for the global speaker who speaks at 24 different countries in one year. Yeah, well, I'm actually <laughs> in my home in Singapore. <laughs> so I tend I tend to book uh, uh, interviews and things like this when I'm home, which means I know that I have internet connection and I I know I'm not jet lagged and I know I have time to do things like this. When I travel, I I travel. So what's keeping you busy at your home right now? I'm actually kind of like on um, a little bit of a paternity leave. I'm uh, I'm Swedish and in Sweden we believe that the father should stay home with the kids, not only the mom. So for the last 4 years I've been I've been like semi on paternity leave. So mm-hmm. um the to, so the last couple of uh, the last days I've been uh, spending a lot of time with my kids because they had this they had uh, they had two days off from school Monday and Tuesday so mm-hmm. which means I decided to also take two days off and just be with my kids Oh that's amazing so I have heard a lot about you taking a step back every few months and spending 
time on your sometimes on your island or maybe on your home like chilling and spending time with family doing absolutely nothing mm. right? so how has this habit of yours helped you in fueling your creativity and coming with the ideas yeah i actually got that inspiration i'm from many different places but um like uh, bill gates he would he he would go on uh, thinking weeks when he was in microsoft now i guess he can do whatever he wants but he would go like two weeks of, on thinking weeks and just bring books and and just read books and and think richard branson goes goes to his island and um uh, i think edison went fishing and so on so it it's quite you can ask people when do you have your best ideas and people get good ideas when they're relaxed when they're when they're on vacation when they're uh, in the in nature or whatever so everyone knows and i have so i have this uh theory that to be creative you have to be inspired you have to see a lot of different things you need to learn of different cultures and different ways of doing things so you get you see new ways of doing things so for the majority of my time i am flying around the world and speaking about creativity and and experience all these different parts of the world so i mean next week i will be in ukraine and and, and last week i was in you know I, i i like you said i speak in between 20 and 35 countries per year and i do that mm-hmm. because i want i want to go to india i want to go to um thailand i also want to go to you know silicon valley and germany or whatever i just want to see as much of the world as i can because you see different things but that is inspiration and literally the the word inspiration it's actually you know it's 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 a breathing it comes from breathing you inspire and you expire uh, perspire right you breathe in and you breathe out so inspiration yeah. means to breathe in the problem is of course if you always breathe in you die and that's what mm-hmm. that's the thing that people miss you you need to have all this inspiration but then once in a while you need to breathe out so about 4 months per year i do that and of course that's a little bit more than i no- would normally do but that's my paternity focus right now so for about 4 months per year i i am just at home that for example 2 months per year i live on a, I, we have an island in sweden so i go and i live on for 2 months on the island. i don't leave the island only to buy groceries and i mm-hmm. and i sit there and then, then the brain relaxes and the brain starts to to think about all these other things all the dots that the um, all the dots that the brain has been collecting during mm-hmm. the travels and then we can um you can connect the dots i i talk about co- collecting the dots and connecting the dots so collecting mm-hmm. the dots is when you travel around and pick up all these inspiring things and connecting the dots you need to sit on a stone somewhere and just you know, rearrange the dots to find the patterns and get new ideas yeah it's very interesting that you say and uh, i love the way that you have put it like collecting the dots and connecting them when you are uh, on peace or when you are not distracted and when you are stress free right yeah. so coming back to this point so how do you minimize or how do you ensure that you are not distracted or how do you minimize your uh, distraction and uh, you are not stressed while you are uh, like in your home or maybe on your island well actually i have built my uh, i build my life around a few principles and one of the principle is is no uh, no stress so anything i do is is built on the prospect of not having stress Uh, apart from like short bursts of stress like when you go up and speak for 10,000 people of course you will you will feel some a bit of adrenaline coming but short stress is good like you see a lion and you run away but mm-hmm. uh, i built my life around everything have, having no long term stress because i think stress kills i think it's proven mm-hmm. that stress kills so the most important thing that i do is, is to build anything around my, my life around that but um the psychology why i live on an island is very psychological because when you go 
and the whole idea is to be alone on an island. It's, an, it's a private island. It's just me on it, mm-hmm. me and my family. And when you get on an, a private island, you uh, the, the, the sea around you kind of isolates you from the rest of the world. Of course, I still have a mobile phone and I have, still have internet, but it's a mental thing. It's like I'm on this island, no one else is here. So it's very easy to, to um, disconnect mentally from the world. But you don't have to go to an island. It just works for me. But if you if you like the idea, I'm not I'm not sure if we're going to talk about my project Ideas Island later. But absolutely, we yeah. Can. yeah. So yeah. then 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 I can explain more about why I why I why I started that project because it something happens when you isolate yourself. So one of those things is conditioning yourself for the great ideas, which is putting yourself in such a calm state or place where you are uh, not thinking of anything else, just uh, you know absolutely doing nothing. Mm. So that is one of those things. Is there any other process that you follow or any other strategies or anything that you do to fuel or, you know, come out with those ideas that supports that, you know, you are coming with any ideas? Do you have any process in place for that? Well, yes, that, that's, it would, I would say like that was what you just, just described is the second part of the process. And then the first part of the process is, is the collecting the dots, which means expose yourself to as many different uh, ideas as possible in a, in in rapid rapid uh, rapid uh, concession like uh, see don't just stay in one place don't just have the same meet the same people just and, and because I'm a keynote speaker it it's very easy for me to do every time I go to a conference it's a different conference like to the I just uh, got a speech confirmed. 30 minutes ago and that's a mm-hmm. global conference for translators so i'm going to go to a, a convent conven- i'm going to speak in january no sorry february i'm going to speak at a convention for a couple of hundred translators from all over the world right okay but uh, the speech i just did last week was for accountants so when i when i speak at an accounting conference i learn the latest trends in accounting when i speak for the translators i learn about the latest trends in uh, translation when I speak for chicken farmers, I learn about the latest trends in chicken farming. And when I speak for an IT company, I learn about the latest trend in artificial intelligence. So every mm-hmm. time I speak, I also learn about the latest trend in a specific industry. So I'm very blessed in that sense. And then, of course, because I do it all over the world, I get to see many different countries, many different cultures, and so on. So I, there's a lot of dots being thrown at me and that I can collect. But you can do that, too, if you are... If, even if you don't travel at all, if you don't go to any conferences, if, for example, when you go and check the news, do you always go to the same web page? Like uh, an American would mm-hmm. either go to CNN or uh, or Fox News, right? And then they get all the news from Fox News, and then you become very you became very narrow minded. So I, when I check the news, I check Fox News one day, and then I check CNN the next day, and then I, and I check Straits Times the next day, and then I go check the Swedish website the next day, because every t- and then I go to the Economist. So I don't have like one page where I go and check the news. I go and check the news from different news sources because I want to see how different people write about the same what's happening in the world, and they they choose very different things to choose from. Yeah. So for example, another thing I'm, I I like to listen to audiobooks when I'm running. So right now I'm listening to the the book called Principles by I don't forget his name now, but he, the the guy who started Bridgewater, one of the richest guys in the world, a, a billionaire, talking about how he has structured his whole life and his whole approach to business about logical principles. So it's very much left brain, very logical, very fascinating book. And then I I listen to that for. Uh, two and a half kilometers. So I run five kilometers. So for the first two and a half kilometers, I listen to this. And then I turn around mm-hmm. and then I switch to Eckhart Tolle, 
with the power of now, mm-hmm. which is all about, you know, yeah, mindfulness being in the present. It's like, it's yeah. the total opposite. So when I, after yeah. five kilometers, I listen to one, half of the, the run is like left brain and half of the, uh, half of the, half of the run is brain and half of the run is heart. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, and then I come home and I feel like, oh, like who is right here? There's, they're almost opposite messages. And I, and then my brain is very getting different in- inputs and then I can connect the two and, and, and come up with something that is a mix of the two instead of just listening to one book for, mm-hmm. for the whole run and say, okay, now I'm all into principles and then I'm all into the power of now. So I like to, to mess with my brain like that. Oh, I think that's a brilliant idea too. you know, rather than feeding your brain with one ideology or one perspective about the things when we, you know, connect dots from the different uh, industry or maybe from the different uh, perspective that would uh, totally, you know, help us come out with those amazing ideas. And also, this reminds me of how, uh, you know, uh, Steve Jobs went on to calligraphy class to learn about the, you know, handwritings and how later on that came into as a, as a different font, fonts on the uh, MacBook, right? So it's, it's interesting how you can merge those different ideas from the different industries and uh, create something uh, absolutely genius. Mm. I also oh. I also listened to the book right now, Moonshot. I also I forget the name of it, but uh, this uh, uh, this Indian guy who moved to the US and started, became a billionaire. And he just, <laughs> last chapter I listened to, he actually talked specifically about this, about you. It's, it's good to be an expert, but you should be an expert and then you should go into a field where you're not an expert because that's when you really can come up with, with good ideas. And he used Steve Jobs as an example in that chapter. So that's, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I have a bunch of podcasts. Like, so, I, uh, so basically the idea is to yeah, infuse, because the creativity comes, the, 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 the opposite of creativity is when your brain is bored. And just uh, like, you know, actually the opposite of creativity is, uh, is uh, bureaucracy or red tape or procedure. That's the opposite. But when people just go in the same motion and do things the same, same way, that's, uh, that's killing creativity. So you, ha- you need to make it more fun for the brain. Yeah, absolutely. So now moving to the project that you were talking about, which is a idea island. So it is very, very interesting idea. Mm. And I found a very interesting when I, uh, you know, uh, first learned about it. So could you share with my listeners, what is the idea island? And how did you come out with this idea? Yeah, so you have to, so there are two kind of things that I really, really like. And um, one is ideas, obviously. And then the other one is island. So I'm kind of an island, island fanatic. So I own three private islands one in the philippines and two in sweden and of mm-hmm. course i also live in singapore so i can't be on the islands all the time so one of the islands i never i never stay on it myself instead i let other people stay on it and that's called ideas island so people can go to ideasisland.com and they can tell me they can basically apply to stay on the island for one week and then uh, i don't charge for it so it's 100 free you have to pay your own travel but the stay on the island is free and the idea is that you go there with a project that you want to work on, where you want to isolate yourself for a week. It can be a new business plan. It can be, I mean, it's not all kinds of ideas. I had, uh, um, I have had um, someone who does a heavy, heavy metal rock concert in Eastern Europe who wanted to make the, the, the festival more environmentally friendly. So they went and thought about mm-hmm. that for a week. Or I have a guy who worked for DHL for 25 years and who, who, who wanted to get out of the corporate job and do some charity work. So he had to figure out what, what charity work should he be doing. I, I don't care. Just a, a, mm-hmm. some inspiring idea that someone wants to work on and wants to set aside time to just work on, uh, on that for a week and forget the rest of the world. And then after one week, then you're off and then another person comes and stays on the island. 
So and, and that and I created it partly because I want want some people to have the same experience that, that I do when I'm on my island. But it's also in itself, it's a crazy idea. Like why would I buy an island and then let other people stay on it for free? Basically, I lose money on it. But it becomes like a symbol. It's a symbol of of doing more crazy ideas. So even if you don't get to stay on it yourself, you might be inspired by by that pure fact that some other people get to go and stay on this island, and then maybe you go and you go somewhere else and work on your ideas. So that that's the that's the that's the concept behind it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, and I'm sure the people listening to this podcast would definitely be interested in checking out the ideasisland.com yeah, and uh, yeah, find out if uh, uh, they just can travel and sit down, uh, you know, um, be there on the island for a week to work on their most uh, like creative project out there. So that's that's very interesting. Yeah. So Frederick, now let's uh, switch a bit of gears to your speaking career. So could you share a bit of the story on how you became a speaker? Sure. So when I was twenty five or something, I I moved to the U.S. to study in the university, and I saw the internet. So you come from Sweden, I'm from right? Sweden. So I was in an yeah. exchange program. So I saw the internet. They had a they had a small internet terminal in the university. This is before Mosaic. I mean, there was there were no pictures on the internet at this time. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I saw the potential. So I went back to Sweden. I wrote my uni- university thesis about internet and business internet and marketing that turned into a book and suddenly i was 27 years old and i was like the uh, the internet expert of sweden so okay. and and everyone wanted to learn about this new thing called the internet so they asked me to speak so i became a, a professional speaker at 27 and because i knew something that other people didn't know so for about five years i ran an internet company and i i did a lot of speaking and then i sold the company in 2000 and in or end of 99 and then I said, okay, so now what? I've sold my company. I'm 32 years old. What, can, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And I said, mm-hmm. what do I like doing more than anything else? Like, if I, what's the one thing I want to do if I don't have to care about the money or anything? And it was, well, speak. Yeah. So I, I, did, I said, okay, from the rest of the, for the rest of my life, I'm just going to speak. Speak and research things to speak about. So since then, I've been doing, so since 2000, that's the only thing I've done. So I'm a, I'm a pure keynote speaker and I speak all over the world on whatever topic I'm interested in at the moment, which tends to be creativity, change, global mindset, uh, those kind of topics. A Swedish speaker who started out, uh, you know, uh, is one of the speakers who talk about internet in Sweden. When did this Swedish speaker started thinking of himself as a global speaker, not only a Swedish speaker? Yeah, that's very clear because in 2005, I decided I was um, I was a, I was selected uh, speaker of the year in Sweden and I was very successful in Sweden but it felt too easy mm-hmm. so I said this is you know I I there wasn't I didn't see a challenge like okay I can do this it, I can just do this for the rest of my life but it's so it's too easy so I said okay let's start let's start over so I decided to move from Sweden to China I did not speak Chinese I still don't speak Chinese uh, I didn't know anything about the culture I didn't know a single human being in China and I was single, so I just moved there on my own with a suitcase and said, "Okay, let's let's start over. Let's start start let's start the speaking career over from scratch." Basically, ten years after I started I started speaking. Yeah. So for two two uh, for two years, I was a Swedish speaker living in China, and I did okay. At that time, there was not the speaking industry wasn't really established in China, but of course, you know, you can always get speeches. But then in two thousand eight, I decided to move from China to Singapore. And when I moved mm-hmm. to Singapore, I made a conscious decision. I'm not going to be a Swedish speaker. I'm not going to be a Swedish speaker living in China. 
I'm not going to be a Swedish speaker living in Singapore. I'm just going to be a speaker. So mm-hmm. today, I don't define myself as a Swedish speaker. I define myself as a speaker. Who uh, and I, uh, I, I am Swedish, but I don't define myself as being Swedish. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just a speaker living in Singapore. But of course, I don't speak in Singapore. I speak. I do five percent of my work in Singapore, and then I speak all over all over the world. Like yeah, as you said, twenty to thirty-five countries per year. I've spoken in 67 countries as of now, and my goal is that before the end of next year, I will have spoken in 100 countries. Wow, that's amazing! And you know what, Frederick? When there are a lot of the speakers out there who are like, who restrict themselves within the boundaries of a country, right? And I love this idea of why do you want to limit yourself within the、uh, you know boundary of a country when you can actually go、uh, global and you know make. The entire globe, your playground, right?、So、it's not, yeah. It's not only the, the speakers who do this. It, it's a lot of people who do this. Yeah, they limit themselves the to their country. Yeah, any, yeah. any, they limit themselves to their country, which is an extremely limiting belief. And it, that doesn't mean some people think、uh, that that means that you somehow, if you if you add a global mindset, that you somehow、uh, look down on your own country or something. That's that's not what it means. I, I use this analogy that. You can be living in.、Uh, I use I use this as a line in one of my speeches. I say, just because I'm a、uh, I'm a man, but just because I get married doesn't mean I'm less of a man. I'm actually think I'm more of a man because I'm married. And then be, then I became a father. It doesn't mean I'm less of a husband. I'm more of a husband. And then、mm-hmm. I be, I have a kid. And then I get involved in the local community and the school.、It、doesn't mean I'm less of a of a of a of a parent. I'm more of a parent. And then I'm in, involved in my local community. That then I can still see myself as being part of a city, like in Delhi or Stockholm or Singapore.、Mm-hmm. And then because you're part of the city, doesn't mean you're also you can also identify as being part of of a of a country. So everyone understands that you can be a man, a husband, a father, a, a, an involved local citizen,、uh, and part of a city and part of a country. So we have five different identities, and that's all. That's all okay. So what I'm saying is, why don't we just add one more layer of identity? Add one more layer of a, being a, a, a human being and thinking from a global human perspective. And when、True. you do that, you add、uh, th- that's the, that's the biggest layer of identity. That's the biggest、uh, layer of identity that you can add because you start seeing things in a from a totally different perspective. You look、True. at you look at you look you look at, for example, my、uh, my developer, my web developers in India. My hosting guy is in Ukraine. My、uh, head of operations is in、uh, Philippines. My accountant is in Singapore. My book designer is in Sweden. I just pick people that I like to work with. I don't care where they are. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. So, what do you think is the challenge that,、uh, or、uh, at least the excuses, or you know, the problem that people have、uh, for not going global that you have encountered? I think it's.、Um, I met a professor once who asked his classmate,、uh, his students in Hong Kong. He said, "How many of you think that Hong Kong was better during the British, and how many think how many of you think Hong Kong was better during the Chinese?" And the class was like fifty-fifty. Okay. And then they said, "How many of you have a different point of view than your parents?" And no one raised their hands. Everyone had the view based on what the parents thought. So we're very much brought up to think about things the way. Our parents or our community used to think about things, right? So,、uh, so of course, if everyone has been very na-、uh, focused on nation is the big thing, right? Like in India, for example, the whole I- identity of India, because you were able to break free from the British and Gandhi and all of this. Of course, you, it's very, it's a very proud thing, and it's good that you did that. But 
that created the country of India. And for, for, for you know, 50 years or so, that's been a strong identity. But my point is that the world we're living in today, the next identity will be the human identity because the technologies that we're building today are on a global scale. It's, it's, it's World Wide Web, it's Google Maps, it's uh, Skype, like all of these things. So now we can communicate on a global scale. That means we need, we need, we basically zoomed out one level. Yeah. Now we also need to zoom out one level with our mindset. So for me, it's very, that's why I live in Singapore. Singapore is the most global city in the world. So it's very easy to have a global mindset in Singapore. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me to have a global mindset because I married a Filipino. So mm-hmm. I'm Swedish and she's Filipino. And suddenly now that we're going to raise our kids, we have to decide, are we going to raise them Swedish way or Filipino way or Singaporean way? Because th- those are three different ways to raise a kid. And because if I married a Swedish w- woman in Sweden, we would just raise them Swedish and we wouldn't question it. But we should. Because the Swedish way of raising kids is great. But the Filipinos do some things that we don't do in Sweden that is even better. And that's mm-hmm. the point of having a global mindset. You find even better ways of doing things. There's no place on earth that does things better than we do it globally. No one, nowhere. Wow, that is a very, very beautiful way to put this, uh, you know, uh, forward. So that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I um, kind of summarizes in the mindset, like the, the uh, life is not a, it's not the World Cup. It's not countries playing versus countries. It's it's Formula One. You, for our one teams, they take the best. I, they take the best people they can find from around the world, and then they compete with other people who take the best things they can from around the world. Like an, an, uh, a, a, a British driver, an Italian car, an American tire, or whatever it is, and they just combine that into the best team they can, and they compete with other people who take the best teams that they can. That's the mindset. Interesting. So I think it's going to take quite a time for people to understand. Uh, you know, once I think it, it is very interesting, uh, you know, once you understand that and I start thinking in a global perspective, I think half of our problems in, in not only in our own, uh, you know, profession, but also in the entire world will be solved, you know, because then after you will not be competing against each other, you uh, you will be thinking the world is your home, right? You know, your globe is... Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. very... In- yeah, it's true. And a lot of people get very... Get very um, provoked by this they almost say like you have to have an enemy it's kind of like <laughs> uh, but it's not true i i have this analogy actually with football teams so i think it's very good so if you're in living in london if you live in manchester you have manchester city versus manchester united and they hate each other right because you're either city <laughs> or united but suddenly then manchester city plays a team from london and all the t- people in manchester they hate the people in london right so suddenly there was like manchester versus london then suddenly it's the world cup and all the people in england forget about manchester and london because now it's all about england and they hate france but then france beats england and now suddenly it's france versus brazil and now all the europeans are beating are, are you know rooting for the european team and hating brazil right so we can change identities as soon as we level go up one level suddenly you know, whatever differences we had on the smaller level disappear because now we're together on a higher level. Yeah, now, true. Now, now people say, but you can't go one more. If you go global, if you go human, suddenly there's no enemy and that therefore it won't work. But that's a logical mistake because with a global mindset, when you have France playing Brazil, the way I look at it, I'm saying, I'm just going to enjoy football. I'm just let made may the best team win, right? That's yeah. how the way I look at it. And when people say this, that you, you need an enemy in order to get stronger together, the the example I use is this. So, for example, let's say you're a Christian and say, well, we, and then we have Muslims, for example. That's a big hot topic right now. People go like, ah, what, but, uh, yeah, so Christians become stronger because the enemy is the Muslims or like 
us versus them. And I said, well, if we kill all the Muslims in the world now, there, mm-hmm. oh, and we make uh, we, we make everyone becomes a Christian. Now, a hundred, mankind is 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 Christian. Would Christianity then be, be stronger or weaker? It would not be weaker. It would be stronger. Mm-hmm. So we don't need an enemy to to have an identity. Our identity is Christian or. Uh, whatever we want to look at ourselves. If we kill, kill all the women, we don't become, uh, you know, we don't have to kill women uh, if we're men. It's like we have men and women. I'm a man and she's a woman. We don't have to kill. It's, it's, it's the same thing, right? So yeah. our identity is who we are and what we stand for, not what other people are and what they stand for. So uh, let's come back to the, you know, uh, uh, speeches and uh, global keynotes that you deliver. And uh, since you have spoken in 65 different countries and, uh, you know, you have seen different cultures and you have seen now, you know, you have uh, more exposure to the world and different cultures of the entire world than mm. you had when you started out. So uh, what I would like to understand is when you speak to the global audience, then you need to have a global speech, right? So how mm-hmm. do you develop a speech that is relevant to people all around the globe how does the speech that you delivered in india works for the speech that you are going to deliver in new york well i have the approach that you of course you should target the the speech to the audience but not necessarily to the country so a global speech or a human speech is um you focus on the things that we have in common not the things that we have in uh, that makes us different so for example i mean um, the basic human emotions like love or fear or hate or ambition, those are human things, right? True. And any good speaker will play on those strings. And, and, uh, and they, in that, so I, a lot of the speeches I do are for global audiences where I have like 500 people in the room and they're from 80 different countries. So how mm-hmm. on earth am I supposed to target a speech for a group that are, we have Germans and Indians and Americans and, uh, but uh, how do you target a speech for that group, you go, you go until the common denominator, which is that we're all, we are all humans. Mm-hmm. And then you make sure that the examples that you have in your speech are from different parts of the world so that everyone feels like, yeah, they're, they, uh, yeah, they can he, relate to them. You can relate to, like, he's not only giving American examples, for example. Yeah. But it's very important. But the thing is, if you have a globe, if you have a speech that works on a global group, it also automatically also works on people from just one country. Because if I can do a speech for a global audience, I can also do that speech for just Indians without having to change it very much. But if you do a speech specifically for Indians and then you want to do, do that for a global group or for an American group, you have to, might have to change it a lot. Because suddenly all these examples that you had were relevant for Indians, but they were not relevant for Americans. You have to start over. So when I write a speech, I try to write a speech for human beings that will work for everyone. And that is the most powerful speech. Look at any powerful speech. Uh, yeah. I have a dream or let's go to the moon or whatever big speech you want to think. And you find this, these are human things or Steve Jobs, uh, the, speech, the Steve Jobs speech that from uh, Stanford, I think it is. Yeah. It's like, this is, this is human messages. It's not American messages. So it's more about invoking those emotions and uh, b- pulling out the examples from different parts of the world so that everybody can relate to. Well, or even, or just, you can have a story where you just tell your story. It's not global, uh-huh. ex- it, but the message is universal. So I talk a lot about as a speaker or as a human to find your inner theme. And the inner theme is like the, uh, a universal truth, meaning a message that everyone needs to hear, but you're the best person in the world to give this message. So a universal, a universal message that is 
best told by you. That's your inner theme. So in my case, my inner theme is humanity to the power of ideas. Humanity to the power of ideas. Means because I believe in creativity, I believe in the potential of humanity, and I believe in the power of ideas. So I've studied creativity for 25 years, and I've traveled around the world, and I've spoken in 67 countries. So who is better, who is better positioned to talk about creativity from a human perspective than me? I think I am best, best suited to do this of all the people in the world, but everyone needs to hear this message. Someone else might have a totally different message, but it's like I use this example. For example, if, if you have been, if you've been sexually abused as a child, or let's say you're a transvestite, a transvestite, that's not a message to humanity. The, 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 um, not everyone is a transvestite, but if you're a transvestite, the message could be, we need to accept people for who they are. That's a universal message. Mm-hmm. And if you find that universal message that you are best suited to, um, to deliver, then you, that, that's the best thing you can do as a, as a, as a speakers, because now, well, you, you found that message that you need to spread to the, to as many people as you can. And then, then automatically you don't have a national, national mindset. You have a global mindset because everyone needs to hear this regardless where they are. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also one of those things that I keep wondering uh, for a keynote spe- uh, speaker, since uh, I myself is considering uh, to getting into keynote speeches very soon. So uh, one thing that comes to my mind about delivering the keynote speech is uh, about delivering the keynote speech over and over again, the same speech, right? Mm. So how do you ensure that even though you are sharing the same speech, sound different or uh, more relevant to audience, uh, you know, uh, like how how do you ensure that uh, you know you you are sharing uh, essentially the same uh, keynote speech but sharing to the different audience? Yeah, so I get that question a lot, and uh, there's a concern for a lot of people. But I always do the comparison. For example, if you're an actor, if you're Phantom of the Opera, and then you deliver the Phantom of the Opera every night, you not only are you saying exactly the same words, you're saying a word that someone else wrote. It's not even your own words. Mm-hmm. So it's not your words, and you do it. You do it exactly the same. Now that must suck, really. That must be terrible. How do you get up? How do you get up in the morning and say, "I'm going to say do exactly the same thing as I did yesterday"? Because you can't improvise because you have you have other actors on the stage, so you have to follow the script. Now, if you have if you're the Rolling Stones, you play sac- you it sac- you you <laughs> you you play Brown Sugar for the millionth time. Now these are your own words. You wrote the song. But you have to play the song almost exactly the same way because people have heard the song and they don't want you to do it differently. They want you to do it the way they heard it on on the on the radio or on the on the CD or or the uh, on the Spotify. So now you're using your own words, but you have to do it exactly the same way. But if you're a speaker, you actually say your own words. Basically, you s- no one is telling you what to say. You're saying what you want, and no one has heard you say it before. Meaning you can you can change it if you want. Or you can say it in a different way if you want, and no one's gonna. Oh, I don't. I don't like the way you told the story this time. You sh- this is how I heard it last time. It's, you don't get that. So you you are actually very free to to say exactly what you want. Now, having said that, a, a good keynote speaker will develop a speech that is the core is the same because you you make it better and better and better and better. You ma- you perfect it. So the trick is how do you when you have perfected it how do you make it um, so it it feels fresh to say the trick is to engage with the audience because even if you played said the speech a thousand times every time the audience is different so when you engage with the audience suddenly that is the first time you're giving this speech to this audience 
So the trick is yeah. not to just go up. And I, I use this as an analogy. If you, if you deliver your speech and the audience says, that was a great speech, but I could have seen it on TED as well. Then mm-hmm. the speech is wrong. The, okay. uh, in the world of TED, just going up and delivering a speech that might as well be streamed on, on the internet. Soon companies, companies are going to say, why didn't we just stream this from the internet instead? Mm-hmm. So you need, to, you need to do a speech that takes advantage of the fact that you're actually in the room with the audience and you need to engage with the audience. And you can do that even if it's 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. And when you, enga- when, you gain- when you engage with the audience, that's why stand-up comedians, they do the same routine over and over. But why do they engage with the audience? Because they want to have this element of surprise. They want to improvise. And then if suddenly if it doesn't work with the audience, they go back to the script again, right? Yeah. So also, like, uh, you constantly improve your speech when you are talking or like, uh, you get that uh, expressions or maybe feedback from your uh, audience, right? When you're presenting for the first few couple of times, and after that, you can keep constantly improvising and improving your speech. Yeah. And then you and then you say like, and then you always constantly try new examples, right? So yeah. you have your you have your key keynote speech. And then you say, Oh, this is I, I have a new idea for a story. Now you infuse that. And suddenly, let's say that story bombs, you go, Okay, I'm never telling that story again. For the audience, they don't. They think it was a great speech because you just changed a small part of it. But if it worked, then you put some. Then you throw something else out. It's kind of like a band. Roll, why does Rolling Stones play this, the songs from the latest album? Because they don't only want to sing the songs they've played for 30, 40 years. Yeah. So, but they can't. If they would only play the songs from the latest album, the audience wouldn't come. So they want to hear some songs, but which you know, they want to hear some parts of the speech that you have perfected, and they want to hear something that is new, that that so feels fresh and and uh, inspiring for the speaker. Mm, awesome. So, could you walk us through the process of developing a keynote speech, or how? What does your process for developing a keynote speech uh, uh, looks like, right from the scratch? Yeah. So, if someone is really interested, uh, my I blog every week. I blog about it. It's professionalspeaking.com. It's free, so I'm not selling anything. But I basically I'm just sharing any small, tiny little aspect about speaking, either how to how to write a speech, how to deliver the speech, how to sell a speech, anything like that. Mm-hmm. The writing of the speech is. For me, I think it's very personal. I don't think there's like one way to write a speech. It's kind of like saying, how do you, how do, you do stand-up? Well, it depends if you're uh, Eddie Murphy or Seinfeld. Like, those are very different uh, comedy styles. And so how do, you write a, how do you write? Which one should you be? So the most important thing is to find your speaker essence, meaning what is, what is your delivery style? For example, my style as a speaker is I go up on stage and people see, oh, no, not another middle-aged white man and and he's not even american so he's not it's not going to be a show and i open my mouth and they hear broken english and they go this is going to be terrible so so i i know that my first impression is not good so i play on that i i lower the expectations of the audience and i have a kind of a weak opening and then i get into it and people go oh wow i didn't expect that oh wow oh wow oh that and at the end of the speech they're like wow that was much better than i thought so mm-hmm. i use the fact that i don't have a f- good first impression if you go up and you look like a bouncer then you have to then you have to be aware that the audience goes up and they see a bouncer and means means you cannot if you look like a bouncer you cannot say things like um you're you're more stupid than monkeys <laughs> people get angry at you but I can say that because I have a cute Swedish accent. And Hans Rusling, which is, you know, you know, you know Hans Rusling, one of the biggest speakers on TED with mm-hmm. millions and millions of views. He literally stands on stage and says, tell the audience, of the, to the TED audience, he tells them, you're more stupid than monkeys. And the audience is just laughing. 
because he mm-hmm. doesn't look like a bouncer. He looks like he looks and sounds like a cute Swedish professor. So you have to be aware of the style, the style. What is your style, and also what do people think when they see you? And you need to be, you need to mix those two things together, and then you decide what kind of speech fits with this person. Oh, I think it's very, very, uh, you know, interesting that you put forward like mixing your personality in the speech. And I have never thought about uh, like pre-assuming or maybe at least having that on your back, back of your mind while writing the speech or uh, you know creating the uh, speech content. Like, what is that people are going to think of you as a first impression and playing around that? So I absolutely love that idea. The the, I, the thing of the, the the traditional keynote guru keynote speaker is dead. If you go and look at TED.com and you look at the top 50 speeches on, that, on TED.com, almost none of them are traditional guru keynote speakers. And, uh, Tony Robbins is up there, but it's, it's very few. I like to say Bill, uh, Monica Lewinsky is on the top 50 TED Talks, but Bill Clinton is not. That's mm-hmm. a very good observation. So that someone just going up and doing like a great oral speech, people don't want. People want honesty, vulnerability, authenticity. It's Brene sure. Brown. It's Sir Ken Robinson. It's Monica Lewinsky. That's what people like in a speaker today. The world has changed, which is great for, for example, an Indian speaker. So, so um, it, it means that an Indian speaker or, an, or, or like it used to be like a, a middle-aged white man goes up on stage and people go, oh, here's the keynote speaker. And then a, a young Indian woman goes up and they go, Who, why is she here? Now it's totally opposite. Now it's yeah. like, why are we listening to one more white? Couldn't they find someone ex- who is not a middle-aged white man? And then the young mm-hmm. Indian woman goes up and they go, oh, this is going to be interesting. This must be, she must be good because otherwise, you know, what's she doing here? So the world has totally changed around that. And it's good for everyone except middle-aged white men. So, Frederick, I would like to switch a bit of gears now and ask you about saying no to the opportunities. Because I'm sure when you when you have spoken in 65 different countries and when 95% of your work come from the you know um, uh, clients whom you have already worked with and uh, you have been spreading your ideas. And I'm sure you get a lot of opportunities, whether it's speaking or other different sort of opportunities that come to you. Mm. And you have to be very, very selective on the opportunities you take so that you can make best use of your time, right? So how do you make those choices and how often you say no to the opportunities that you think are not fit for you? Okay. I actually think the question is asked wrongly. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think you don't, I don't think you should say no to opportunities. So you, you should say yes to opportunities. And uh, do you know what the word opportunity means? It's a, no one, no, I mean, this is not a trick question. I'm, you, most likely you don't. Most people don't. And I also didn't. But I Googled it. The etymology of the word is so beautiful. It's one of my favorite words. Opportunity is, the, is a word of a wind. Like you have a typhoon, you have a hurricane, you have a storm, you have opportunity. Opportunity is what the Romans would call, it literally means the wind that takes you back to your harbor. So the Romans were out in the Mediterranean Sea and they were lost and they were hungry and they have no water. And then suddenly the right wind finally came, right? Opportunity, the wind that would take you home again. That's what it means. But if you think about it, it doesn't mean you will get home. You still need to hoist the sails. You still need to sail, right? So opportunity literally means here's, here's the wind coming to take you home. Now you better start sailing. So, and this is the approach that I have to anything that I do. I look at it like an elevator. I, I don't use the stairs. I just stand on the ground floor until the elevator door opens. And when it does, I jump into the elevator and I press the button and I go as high as I can. And then the elevator stops. I, and then I jump out before the elevator goes down again. And then I wait on that floor until the next elevator comes and we go higher. 
To me, that's opportunity. So instead of then say, looking at how do I say no to opportunities, I just have to say, which are the opportunities I want to say yes to? And then by do, it's basically saying, how do you decide which elevator not to jump, to jump into? I don't. I focus on which elevator I want to jump into. And that takes up all the time. I, and then that books me up. That, that, books me, my, that books my time up. And I'm busy doing what, uh, taking advantage of opportunities that I want to take instead of looking at which ones I don't want to take. I think that's my whole approach to life. It's also around the, 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 the reverse of this is, um, that uh, I let's say I um, if, some, if someone is struggling with something, my, uh, I I don't struggle with anything. If I do something and it's it's hard work, is I feel like I'm banging my head against the door. I don't go to that door. I find a different door, and I and even if that door is heavy to open, I don't open that door. I I go until I find an open door, and then I walk through the open door. And that's my whole approach to life. There's so many doors in life. So why on earth would you bang your head against a door that is closed when you could just take a few steps and just walk into an open door? Life is too short to bang your head against the door. Mm, that's a beautiful way to put that. So, Frederick, I'm sure, uh, you know, uh, on this journey of yours, you have uh, faced a lot of challenges and difficulties in your life. So would you like to share some of the challenges that you have gone through in your own life and lessons learned out of that? Yeah. So well, what I just told you is kind of like, I don't look at it that way. I don't look at it as if I find a challenge, I just, I just move around it. Like there's a Chinese saying, the water doesn't go through the stone. It goes around the stone. So uh, why, why try to go through the stone when you can? So my life is built around the fact of trying to uh, avoid the challenges. And even then it sometimes, of course, you get thrown a challenge, but then again, I try to, to go through. So I, I'll give you an example. My, um, like yesterday, someone said, oh, it must have been a big sacrifice to leave your family and your, and your friends and move to China and start over. I never looked at it as a child. People said one of the most difficult things you can do is to move from one country to another. They have done studies on this. It's as stressful as a death in a family to move to a new mm-hmm. country. I felt mm-hmm. zero stress because I didn't look at it as something that would be a stressful thing. I looked at it like, wow, this is going to be fun. And then, of course, I had challenges, but I, uh, then I, I don't. I don't know, work permit or anything. Uh, I go, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll pay someone to do that. For example, I have, uh, uh, I don't pay my own bills because I hate bills. I pay someone to pay my bills, right? Which means I haven't paid a bill for years. Uh, I have two helpers at home because I don't need, uh, I don't necessarily need two helpers. I, uh, but I said, I don't want, I just, we should be, we should have no stress at home. So we should just have backup on help that we might need because some, something might stressful might happen and then that's when we so when we do need that that's why we have the two helpers instead of one helper and the cost of that is is worth every penny uh anything like that is is uh that's the, my whole approach to, to uh to life so okay i'll give you a challenge when, a couple of when my my a few years back my son was diagnosed with autism mm-hmm. when he was three and a half years old and that's a that's a tough one for a parent right but yeah. we kind of did the same approach to that. First, for a few months, of course, you're in shock and go, oh, my God, what's going to happen? It was high-functioning autism. So it was you know, good news and the bad news. But then we just said, okay, so now that's, that's the fact. Now what do we do about it? And we started looking at different ways of doing this. And we just threw ourselves into it and looked at the best way we could do to, to treat this and, uh, and work with this and you know, try different therapies and different uh, aspects of it and so on. And I'm very happy to say that about a couple of months ago, 
he was actually de-diagnosed from autism. He doesn't have it anymore. So according oh. to the, so it's a, it's a wonderful story. I'm not saying all kids with autism can go through this story. Of course not. But you, with the right approach and saying, looking at um, challenges as opportunities, you, even something that challenging can turn into to, uh, something um, that is more, to me, was more of an opportunity. Like, okay, let's see what we can do with this instead of saying, oh, the world has ended. Mm. If I if I miss a, if I miss a flight, I don't go shit. I miss a flight. I go okay. How do I? How can I get where I'm going? So I tell you a story. There was this. Um, I'm a speaker, right? So I was speaking. In, mm. Do you remember the ash cloud in Iceland? There was like a, a volcano that erupted, and suddenly uh-huh. they, they yeah. cancel all the flights. So I was. In, I happened to be in Sweden giving a speech. I came out of the speech, and uh, and I look at my phone, and it goes, uh, they're closing the airport in Reykjavik because of an ash cloud. And mm-hmm. I say, hmm. And then it started closing airports in Scotland. And I go, hmm, look at this. They might close more and more airports. But at the time I gave to the airport, they already closed the airport in Stockholm. So now no flights. Mm-hmm. But I had to be in, in Singapore four days later to give a speech. And I go, okay. So most people just said, okay, I'll just wait until they open the airports. But I said, no, there's a chance that this, they won't open it. I, don't, I might miss my next speech. So I, I called my brother, who was unemployed at the moment. I said, bring your car. And he, he picked me up. And for 40 hours, we drove through Europe. So from Stockholm all the way down to Munich. I would, mm-hmm. I would drive, he would sleep. He would sleep, I would drive. 40 hours, all the way down to Munich, trying to find an airport that still didn't close. But by the time we came to the Munich, they had closed Munich airport. Oh. Then I jump on it. <laughs> then I leave my brother there and tell him to go home. And instead, I jump on a train. And for for, for an, another additional forty hours, I'm on a train going from Munich through Eastern Europe, Bulgaria, Albania, all the way Romania, all the way down to Istanbul. And after forty hours, I come to Istanbul. I jump on a plane. It's the only airport in Europe that didn't close. I flew from Istanbul to Singapore and I made it to the speech. I was the only speaker who made it to the speech. To me, that's my approach. Whatever the challenge is, just look at how you can solve it. And you can. Most of the time you can. At least most of the time you can solve it better than the people who didn't look at how they can solve it. Yeah, I think it's more about shifting your focus from, uh, you know, challenge to what's the opportunity here and how I can get out of it. Yeah, what's, what's the best outcome that we can do from this? Dear listeners, it's time for the enlightening round. But before we jump in, here's a small message from one of you guys. This message comes from Arvind from Bangalore, who has been listening to this show for quite some time now and wants to share his thoughts about this show. Hello, Mr. Vijay Gautam. This is Arvind here from Bangalore. This voice note comes to you with a big thank you. A big thank you for whatever you are doing with the Inspiring Talk podcast. I've been introduced to podcasts, say, probably a year ago, and yours were one of the first podcasts I've listened to. All the episodes that you have released are of very high quality and the people you have selected have huge metal in them. Please continue bringing out such personalities in front of us. Share what they are doing for society so that we go out and do something inspiring. (laughs) Thank you, Vijay. Thanks a lot. And the best wishes for your podcasts and any of the future endeavors that you're planning to do. Bye. Thank you so much, Arvind, for taking time out to listen to this show and taking a step forward to record this message. I truly appreciate that. And guys, 
If you also have something to say about this show, good, maybe bad, or whatever you have got to say, please do record your message by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash speak. That is theinspiringtalk.com forward slash speak, S-P-E-A-K. That will really mean a world to me, and that's how I know that this show is helping you in any way. Make sure to record your message today. Frederick, so um, now it's time for the enlightening round. Are mm. you excited? <laughs> I do like I do like that. But is it is it yes or no questions or short question, short answers? Uh, it's it are the short answer questions. Okay, sure. Yeah. So you inspire a lot of people and uh, over a million people all around the globe uh, through your keynote speeches. So what inspires you to do everything that you do? Meeting people from all kinds of life, all kinds of cultures, all kinds of industries, seeing all their facets of humanity. Which one daily habit do you believe has been game changer for you in your success journey? Not having a daily habit. I don't have a daily habit. And specifically, I, I, I'm actually thinking of writing a book called A Life Without Mondays. Because I try, I try to live uh, as not having daily habits because it makes mo- life more fun. So I would say mm-hmm. that not having having as few habits as possible. Mm-hmm. So could you share a book or two that has influenced you personally in recent past, or maybe the book that you have loved uh, in in recent past? Yes, there's so many. I tend to remember the books I just read. So I think I told you the ones I'm reading right now. All of them I like. Um, I, there was one book by Edward de Bono that I read in university that got me interested in, in creativity. I don't remember exactly which of his books, but that really, uh, I think it was called Lateral Thinking. That really got me into the whole idea of, of writing, of studying creativity deeper. But I also like the books. So there's a book called They Have a Word for It, where they go in, a, it's like a dictionary of, dictionary of words that only exist in one country based on, on specifically things. They need a word for that in this language only. And I like that because it, it's just a funny book that I, uh, in, that in, have inspired me to write a book. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny little book that I, I like to mention as an, a book that most people haven't heard of. Like there's a book, there's a word in Kenya for when your uh, second cousin has overstayed his stay by six weeks. Like we don't have that word in <laughs> Swedish, but they have it in Kenya. And I like to, okay. you know, look at humanity like that. So, Frederick, if you were to start this journey of yours all over again, what are those three things that you would have done differently? All right. A very good question. So, for 25 years or 23 years, I've been a global keynote speaker. And I've mo- almost all of that time, I've never had any staff. I did everything myself. Up to like one month ago, I would book my own flights. I would research. I would book the interviews. I would book the hotels. I would do everything. I would I would print the books. I would write the books. I would edit the books. I would sell the speeches. I would do the speeches. I would do everything. Uh, and then uh, about two weeks ago, I finally hired like a proper, not a virtual assistant, but a proper business manager and say, you are now in charge of developing my speaking career. And I wish I would have done that 20 years ago. I can feel it after two weeks. Someone to to basically outsource everything that is not exactly what you want to do. So now I'm just doing exactly what I want to do. Amazing. Any other two? I have asked for three things. Oh, um, <laughs> I would have uh, I would have become a I would have become a global speaker much faster. It took me ten years. I was a Swedish speaker for ten years, and then I would uh, I would have thought oh I would have been a global speaker from the start or a global whatever I would have decided to be. And the third one I would have developed more product. 
because I um, uh, my my first company was a consulting company. Now I'm a speaker, which means I'm I'm not very scalable. But I would have developed more product that were, would be more scalable. I don't have the scale up mentality as much as I wish I had. So, Frederick, could you share some online tool or app that you use on a regular basis that has helped you in maybe becoming better organized or disciplined or maybe things like that? Okay. So, I actually, uh, I I've deleted a lot of the apps on my phone. So, and a lot of I I I believe in a kind of a minimalistic uh, mindset. Around. I I download a lot of things, and then recently I've been de- deleting them instead. Try to fo- focus on a few things. So I'm actually, I I kind of have to skip that one. I use very few apps. I use Spotify for music. I use the mail app. I use the podcast app. I use Audible for audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, like for example, WhatsApp, Skype, blah blah. No, I'm an email kind. Everything on email. And when the inbox is is empty, I'm done with it. Like so, as I would say, pick a few things that you really that really work perfectly for you. And then, then um, become really good at those instead of having uh, people spend way too much time installing and using all this app, trying to become more efficient. For example, I don't own a car, right? I, I Instead, I use Grab or Uber because the, the I, it's an interesting example. If you, if you calculate how much the speed of a car, if you include how many hours you have to work in order to buy that car, Mm. especially in a country like Singapore, the speed of your car is like three miles per hour or something like this. So I'd rather not buy the car and just use a car when I need it. So I'd rather pay more for the Uber drive than to pay a lot of money for the car I don't use so much. And I um, I approach life like this, uh, minimalistic, I guess. Great. So uh, we have come to an end of uh, this enlightening round, but uh, uh, like here is the end of the question. Uh, which you can give a long answer to. So, Frederick, what would be your message to the people uh, looking forward to get started with uh, maybe keynote speeches or maybe someone who is already doing you know speeches uh, looking forward to expand their reach to the global scale? Right. So, uh, yeah, so I did, my latest book is called uh, Spread, Spread Your Message, See the World, How to Become a Global Keynote Speaker. And I think it's like, the Kindle version is like $3 on, on Amazon. So it's, I didn't write that book to make money. I wrote that book to help people because what I did is I, everyone asked me, how can I become a global speaker? So I looked at last year, I spoke in 23 countries and I looked at, okay, so how did I get that speech in Nigeria? How did I get that speech in the U.S.? And I, I backtracked and I like, I um, reverse engineered it. And I look at, well, this is what I did. And then I wrote one chapter about how I got a speech in Kenya, how, how I got a speech in America. So you can basically just read that and then do what I did and it should work. It's very simple techniques, but they work for me, so they should work for you. If people want, don't want to pay $3, they can email me at frederick at interesting.org or frederick at frederickheron.com. If I'm sure you're going to have some show notes or something, and I'll send them the ebook for free. I'm not trying to sell the book. I just want to, because my inner theme is humanity to the power of ideas. I want to help more people spread their message to as many people as possible. It's part of what I, it's part of my inner theme. Amazing, guys. Uh, I will list down all the resources and links that we have been discussing in this episode on the show notes page at theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 5555. That is theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 5555. So, Frederick, I have a last question for you. 
Before I ask you this last question, how can people reach out to you, learn more about uh, your uh, speaking, you know, engagements, and maybe book you for their end of the conference? Uh, and how can they? What's the best possible way? Okay, so yeah, I think I've been mentioning that. So innertheme.com, professionalspeaking.com, fredrickheron.com is, or if they don't know how to spell my name, interesting.org, which leads to the same page. Interesting. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so here's the last question for you. So Frederick, imagine that you are standing on a stadium, on a stage in a stadium, and this stadium is, let us say, the largest stadium ever built on the history of humanity. And it has got capacity to hold millions of people on that stadium. And every single seat on that stadium is occupied and you are there on stage and each of these people on that sitting on those stadium on that stadium are eagerly looking at you and listening to you and you were given only one minute of the time to share with these people the most important lesson that you have learned in your life what would be that message so i actually kind of did that about a year ago there was uh, a speech, it's still called the Global Leadership Summit. It's the largest uh, leadership summit in the world. It's 10,000 people live, but it's streamed to 128 countries and the audience is 400,000 people. So I've, so in a way, I kind of did, I kind of did that. In that case, I did, I spoke on, on, the, on, uh, on creativity generally, like why we need to be more creative and how the world would be a better place if we were creative. But uh, in, in the, in, to upscale it one more level, I have this kind of a uh, slogan that I, I think I, would be, the core of the message would be uh, think human, act humane. That's my, that's kind of, that would be the core message. Think human, act humane. And by that, my one minute speech would be about what we talked, what we were talking about earlier about upscaling your thinking, not to just think fa uh, me, family, uh, city and country, but also think uh, one level up humanity. And then that's think human, think on a global scale, on a human scale. And then uh, so think human. And then the other one is think humane, which means when we, when we have a global mindset, we automatically become more um, humane in the solutions we try. We try to think of how can we make the world a better place uh, for all of, everyone who lives here. To, that, that in itself becomes a more humane way of thinking. So think human, act humane would be my, would be my message. It has been amazing having conversation with you, Frederick. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Inspiring Talk. I hope you got some inspiration or learned something from this episode. If you did, make sure to share this message with your friends by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 555. Do connect with me on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at the red BJ Speaks and let me know what you think about this show in general. Thank you for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.